expected, even though the storms are raging outside, we can have joy and peace knowing that you're working and in control. We just ask now that you take each part of this service and use it for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are continuing to uh, work um, on the plumbing there. And uh, hopefully Saturday afternoon uh, we will meet with a plumber who will meet, bring a plumber along with him who can sign the papers. And so we will see what happens. And... Uh, So just keep that in prayer if you would. But let's get into Psalm 119, starting with verse 129. Thy testimonies are wonderful, therefore doth my soul keep them. The entrance of thy words giveth light, it giveth understanding to the simple. I opened my mouth and panted, for I longed for thy commandments. Look thou upon me, and be merciful unto me, as thou usest to do unto those that love thy name. Order my steps in thy word, and let not any iniquity have a dominion over me. Deliver me from the oppression of man, so will I keep thy precepts. Make thy face to shine upon thy servant, and teach me thy statutes. Rivers of water run down mine eyes because they keep not thy law. Now, as we look at these, this set of eight verses, again, the, the point that we're trying to make is that there has been a lot of growth, of maturity in the life of the psalmist, the writer of this psalm. And it's very common what often happens as we get as we grow in our relationship with God if you've read through the Bible 20 or 30 times and say pastor how am I ever going to do that well uh, you have to do it more than once a year unless you plan on living a very long time but you work your way through you get familiar with the things of God And what sometimes happens? God's Word loses its wonder. It just becomes a repetition of what we're doing. How many people know what I'm talking about? And here's the problem. It's not God's Word. It's our hearts. They get comfortable. And if we'll allow our heart to be comfortable where it is, we, like fresh bread, will go stale. Now, how the psalmist starts, now we're all the way to verse 129. And he says, Thy testimonies are wonderful. Now, how many of you have ever stood, or how many of you can, can you, how many of you can remember the first time you actually went to see the Empire State Building? And you stood there at the foot of that building and you begin to look up and up and up, and you begin to get dizzy as you looked up, 
And most people go, wow. How did they do that? How did they build a building? So I've heard of buildings that tall, but I mean, when you're actually just standing there and you've got your neck craned all the way up and it hurts and you haven't even gotten to the antenna yet and you're sitting there going, this is somewhat overwhelming. That's one of the fun things about being a tour guide once in a while is you get to see everybody just freak out when they actually see it and they say, this is just so much bigger than I could imagine. Where are all these buildings? What I really like is when somebody says, well, I've been to Chicago. I'm used to big cities. I said, come on, let's go down to Manhattan. Wow, this is bigger. This is, this is really different. And it is. Uh, you could take downtown Chicago and all their skyscrapers and put it in just a couple of blocks of Manhattan. But Manhattan just goes on and on and on. And I remember taking a uh, missionary uh, brother board. He interpreted for Uichi and Yukari's wedding. And, uh, I mean, he was a missionary in Japan. And he had been to all the big cities. And Tokyo is bigger than New York. And we were driving across the 59th Street Bridge about midnight. And he saw all the lights. And I just, he was giggling like a little boy. And I said, Tokyo doesn't have a skyline like that, does it, my friend? He says, no, it doesn't. He said, this is beautiful. This is the most wonderful thing I've ever seen. The reason I'm trying to paint these pictures, when was the last time reading God's Word overwhelmed your senses like that? Now, the conviction in my life, and, I, and, and it ought to be in yours as well, if that's not happening, something's wrong. If that is not happening when you read through your daily Bible reading schedule, I know it's Ezekiel or some other one of those... But I'll tell you, as you get more familiar with the Word of God, those last eight chapters of the book of Ezekiel, nine actually, where it describes the temple, I mean, that's beyond my imagination. I can't wait to see those things. And as we study and read God's Word, it ought to be wonderful. It ought to inspire all. I think one of the most misused words in modern English is the word awesome. That's awesome. Oh, don't do that around me. I will correct you. All, in its proper meaning, is talking about the response that a human being has when he or she is faced with God. That's what all actually means. There is only one awesome thing in the entire universe, and that is God. And so be careful. You are slaughtering the English when you say, Man, that pizza was awesome. No, it wasn't. 
It is not worthy of worship, my friend. Only God is. And yet, people stand in awe on some Hollywood harlot or whatever the male version of that is, stands up and sings a song on a screen or performs some part, or, and everybody, oh, wow. And we, we worship ball players. Now, just because they're genetic misfits, I mean, anything seven foot tall is just genetically messed up, isn't it? I mean, they quote unquote have won the genetic uh, roulette or whatever bingo game, and they can bounce a ball or throw a ball or hit a ball farther than any or throw a ball faster than anyone. I guess you all heard about that guy that threw the pitch at 100 and what was it, 105 miles an hour, something like that. Fastest pitch ever recorded in baseball history. But the guy can only throw 10 pitches a game. Um, seriously. Uh, and I promise you in 10 years, he won't be throwing a 60-mile-an-hour fastball. Because this old body does things, doesn't it? How long has this book been around? How long have these words been in existence? It says, Thy testimonies are wonderful. You know, we live in a day of political confusion, I guess is a good way to put it. I'm trying to be really nice. I hope our politicians are confused. If they're doing it on purpose, we are in grave danger as a nation. I'll tell you that. But you stop and think about all the laws and all the things that government has tried to do. And then look how simple this book is. And how much better job God does with just a few pages, 1,100 pages in the Old Testament, 1,157 in my Old Testament, 348 in my New Testament. Those few pages changes the course of mankind. We'll take a drunkard and make him sober. We'll take a wicked, abusive person and teach them to love others. I mean, this book is wonderful. Amen? And when people obey the words of this book, good things happen, doesn't it? Thy testimonies are wonderful. Understand that you'll never be able to wonder to the extent of God's Word. You'll never comprehend the whole thing. But never let God's Word stop exciting thought process in your mind and in your heart. It's supposed to be your meditation. Amen? Now, meditation, the best picture, 
not to be too repetitive, is the cow chewing the cud. How many of you know how that works? A cow has got four different stomachs. He chews up the grass, or she chews, I'm sorry, no such thing as a male cow. She chews up the grass, and it goes into stomach number one. Then it comes back up and gets chewed again and, and goes through that process. And that cow will take grain and corn and, and grass, green grass, and make milk that has so much fat in it that it clogs your arteries and uh, does all those horrible things. A guy told me, he said, dairy products are the most evil things on the planet Earth. I said, there's only one problem. He said, what's that? I said, they taste so good. Amen. And so I'm going to enjoy them until the doctor tells me I can't. And then I'll probably still sneak a few. But this won't clog your arteries. Amen. This is wonderful. God's Word. He says, Thy testimonies are wonderful, therefore doth my soul keep them. How many of you are old enough in this room here, you've lived life long enough that you can see the benefits of obeying God's Word in your life? How many of you are old enough to see what happens when you don't obey God's Word? That's the last verse, by the way. The last verse in this stroke says, Rivers of water run down mine eyes because they keep not thy law. Oh, that we would let God's Word give us a little bit of emotion. We've allowed... The, the charismatic movement to rob us of emotion. We think we need to be robots. And, and, and I'm not talking about feigning or, or making up your emotions. But let God's Word do its work in your heart. Get the joy of your salvation, the joy of the forgiveness, the joy of the holiness of God, And when people are breaking God's laws, don't get angry and start saying mean, hurtful things. Sometimes that happens, uh, well, it always happens in political circles. But I, I wonder what would happen in our nation if God's people could generate some real heartfelt tears for what is going on in our nation because people are disregarding the law of God. That's that's what needs to happen. That's what this strophe is about. The work, I call it the work of the Word in the way there's some emotion there. Thy testimonies are wonderful. Let God's Word fill you up. And then he talks about this. In the next verse, he says, The entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. The entrance of thy words. 
We live in a dark day. We talk about that often, and that's a good way to describe the day in which we live, is it not? But the entrance of thy words, it's just like turning on that little flashlight. It's like lighting that candle. When God's words enter in, you can see what is truth and what isn't. How many of you used to think one way about something and now because of your connection with the Word of God, you think differently about that same thing? I mean, let's talk about politics for a minute. How can you be associated with the Word of God and endorse the democratic stand on stem cell research and abortion on demand and homosexual marriage and all of the... How can you endorse those things and have anything to do with the Word of God? It will change the way you see things. But let me tell you, and if somebody can answer this question positively, I sure would like to know it. Can anybody tell me one positive thing the Republicans have done in the last five years on any of those topics? I mean, I can't think of anything except President, our former President Bush did stop embryonic stem cell research new strains, but he allowed the Frankenstein things to go on. Uh, it's, it's beyond the scope of your imagination what people are doing in laboratories now. It, uh, uh, Miss Shelley and her sword mind inventing that novel called Frankenstein has not touched the surface of what this embryonic stem cell research is, going, is doing and causing to go on. It is evil beyond your imagination. And not one good medical thing has yielded from it. Don't mistake stem cell research for embryonic stem cell research. Everybody has stem cells in it. And they have produced cures for certain types of leukemia. They have reversed cancers. They have done all kinds of wonderful things using adult stem cells. They've only produced more cancers and more bizarre types of things using embryonic prey. It is beyond your imagination But where God's Word comes in, you can see the truth. It gives light unto the simple. You don't have to be the smartest person in the room. All you have to do is start applying the words of this book called the Bible. And it will solve your problem. In fact... I have found, and I've found very few, if any, exceptions to this. I don't know of one exception. If I find out where the people that hate God's Word line up, I just get on the other side. I'm almost always right. Somebody said, but you don't understand the issue. I said, no, I don't need to. If she's for it, I'm against it. It's just that simple. Because she's never been right. And you can just put in whoever you want. I mean, there's an awful lot out there. Uh, Or he as well. I mean, we can just put in some politicians that are in power right now. 
The entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding to the simple. Now, he gives the picture of being locked away from light. And all of a sudden, that first ray of light begins to come in. His next picture that he paints, I opened my mouth and panted, for I had longed for thy commandments. Have you ever walked into a bakery and they just bring out a fresh tray of something and set it on the counter there? And you, oh, uh, uh, let me get a handkerchief here and I don't want to drool on the counter. Uh, could I have one of those? Then, no, no, I don't want the one that's been in the counter for hours. I, I want one off that tray. Anybody ever done that? I mean, I'll tell you what. There's a picture there, is there not? Of a desire, of an emotion, of of a craving for the Word of God. He says, I opened my mouth and panted, for I longed for thy commandments. 132, look thou upon me and be merciful unto me, as thou usest to do unto those that love thy name. Now, that's a rather difficult verse if you're not careful with it. He's asking God to look upon him. If we go down to verse 135, he says, Make thy face to shine upon me. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But he says, Be merciful unto me. And... And he said, Be merciful unto me as thou usest to do unto those that love thy name. Now, I've heard an awful lot of preaching as a young man on the great revivals that happened in the olden days. You had the first great awakening under Jonathan Edwards and and then the second one in the Uh, late 1700s, just before the revolution was the first, just after the revolution was the second in our country's history. Uh, People talk about the great revivals uh, under Finney where he would come in and preach in a city and every bar in town was closed down. You didn't have to pass an amendment to outlaw liquor. There was nobody willing to sell it in that town. Because there wasn't enough people wanting to drink it to keep the bar open. Now, that's how you solve the problem. Amen? Uh, You want to solve the great ills. And and they talk about these great revivals as as, uh, some mystical, miraculous thing that God will just do when He kind of feels like it. And it's our job to contort ourselves and... And do all these weird things in order to to finally latch on to that desire of God to see souls saved. Let me ask you a question. Has there ever been a time in history when God has not wanted to see souls saved? Has God ever changed in His desire? Does He want to see more souls saved today than He used to? Well, I, I want to challenge you. The problem is not God. The problem is not His Word. The problem is His people. 
Would you agree with me on that? And I don't believe that we need to pine away our days saying, Oh God, please, please send revival. Because the best way to get there is just to go out and win somebody to the Lord. Amen? Now, we live in dark days, do we not? We live in days where the Word of God has been pushed out of the public arena. I, I've often said to different people in conversation and said, listen, here's the best way I know how to put it is 1962, we outlawed prayer in public schools and several other things and we pushed God out of the public arena and now we're upset because the devil showed up. Uh, I don't think the problem is God. But here's what the psalmist is saying. He said, God, be merciful unto me. Now, how do you get mercy? Do you remember that? It's called surrender. Mercy is what the victor gives the vanquished. Amen? So, we need to surrender to the Lord to get His mercy. The problem is we'll surrender this part of our life and that part of our life and then we've got this one little thing that we just kind of keep secret. Say, Lord, that one's mine. I just can't get loose of it. Well, that's not mercy. It's not mercy until we surrender. And by the way, partial surrender is no substitute. And so... He says, Be merciful unto me as thou usest to do unto them that love thy name. And the way, the, the best that I can put it is, the psalmist was praying, Lord, I don't want all the miracles to just be in the past. Lord, I'd like you to do some miracles today, just like you used to do. Now, you read the book of Revelation, let me tell you, a lot of those things like happened in Exodus, they're going to happen again. Uh, I'm glad I'm not going to be around when those things happen. But we need to pray. God, where do I need to be to receive your mercy so that you can show yourself to my generation. Amen? That's what the psalmist is saying here. You can see where he starts out. He says, listen, thy testimonies are wonderful. He said, they inspire all. They inspire. They overwhelm my senses. It's it's a miracle. It's amazing. He says, look thou upon me and be merciful unto me as thou usest to do. Lord, help me surrender my life completely to You. Verse 133, Order my steps in Thy Word, and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. How many of you are familiar with Romans chapter 7? That I would do, I do not. That I would not, that I do. 
He said, Oh, wretched man that I am. How many of us could identify with those verses? All too much. And the psalmist here is saying, Order my steps in thy law. You know, God is more interested in your obedience to His Word than you are. Well, then why doesn't it happen in our lives? Well, it's very simple. And it's very complicated all at the same time now, isn't it? As we say, I know I shouldn't fill in the blank. But then we make allowances. The Bible says make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. The Bible tells us that we have to walk in the Spirit. And he's saying here, order my steps. If you could imagine the Holy Spirit as like a spacesuit. The only problem is all you have to do to get out of it is go a different direction than the Holy Spirit wants to go. And you step beyond His realm of protection. He says, Order my steps in Thy Word, and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. In John 17, verse 15, then just as moments before Jesus uh, went to the Garden of Gethsemane, He prayed that God would not take us out of the world but He would keep us from the evil. That's the reference that's in your outline. And it's just like in the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation. We don't pray that because we believe God will lead us into temptation. Uh, Anybody that thinks that doesn't know their Bible, now do they? Because God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth He any man. The reason we pray, lead us not into temptation is not because God is going to lead us there. It's because we are going to lead us there. It's God, protect me from temptation. Keep me away from this. And yet, each one of us know where we can go if we want to be tempted. We've got to get enough of God's Word into our hearts that it makes our steps follow His Word. It says, deliver me from the oppression of man, so will I keep thy precepts. Now, you look at this plea, and think about the life of David. How much time did David spend at the tabernacle between the time he picked up Goliath's sword at Nob as he was fleeing from the king, King Saul, until he became the king of, da- uh, became, he became the king of all Israel. Let me tell you, he didn't spend much time there because he had no freedom to do it. Many of us know of people, and in fact we have people in our church that used to live under the Iron Curtain. What you didn't have freedom to do what we're doing tonight. The preachers did not have freedom 
to attend Bible college and study their Bibles correctly. In fact, there were many pastors who did not even possess a full and complete copy of the Word of God. Sometimes it was only pages at a time. And we wonder why the persecuted church has had doctrinal problems. Let me tell you, the persecuted church has always had doctrinal problems because they have not had the freedom to study God's Word as they should. The sad part is, once the persecuted church becomes the unpersecuted church, they hold to their traditions instead of to the words of God. This is what's happened to many of our Baptist brethren in the Eastern Europe in the former Soviet Union. It's because, not because the Bible says so, but because, well, the man who taught me said this, and he died in a concentration camp. Are you going to tell me he's wrong? Well, I don't care who they are, they're wrong if they disagree with this book called the Bible. But you know what? We need to pray. In fact, Brother Shaw shared with me, and I want to share this request with you. We need to pray for the country of Brazil. They have a woman who is, according to all practical purposes, is going to be elected president of that nation who was a member of an active terrorist organization and spent time in prison because the group she was a part of committed murder and things against the government that was there. And, of course, the government that was there was not a very good one. But he said, if the, proper, if the people who are lined up to win the election line up, everything that we have complained about here in the United States and fought for the last five years, homosexual marriage and, and uh, uh, gay rights and all of these things, he says, all going to be law that quick. He said, you need to pray for Brazil. He said, they could effectively stop all evangelistic work in that country with the next election. Because if you can be put in jail for saying something bad against spiritism, against homosexuality, against sin, how are you going to preach the need for repentance? By the way, it's coming here. They've been trying. Deliver me from the oppression of man. Now look at with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2 for just a moment. Now I want to read these verses here. And this is what I mean. The Bible is tomorrow's newspaper. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For the first 200 and whatever odd years, 235 years of our nation's history, we have been able to live, if you so choose, a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. But when they pass laws that restrict all of these things, we're not going to be able to live quietly and peaceably because we're going to have to make a choice to obey God's law or obey man's law.
Deliver me from the oppression of men. So will I keep thy precepts. You know what? Every time we as a Christian sin, we vote for the destruction of freedom in this nation. That hit me as I was preparing the message for tonight. But that's, that's what he's talking about here. He says, deliver me from the oppression of men, so, so uh, will I keep thy precepts. There are many nations in this world where you cannot obey God's laws and not be in direct opposition with the government. And when Antichrist takes over, there will be no freedom at all. We need to pray. Amen? This is the work that God's Word wants to do. Verse 135. Make thy face to shine upon thy servant, and teach me thy statutes. Read number 6. God told Moses, He said to the people of Israel, when you... In fact, let's read that. We're going to... I think we'll finish tonight. Numbers chapter 6. Let's just take a moment and go there. Verse 22. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron and unto his son, saying, On this wise ye shall bless the children of Israel, saying unto them, The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. And they shall put my name upon the children of Israel and I will bless them. Do you think that's what the psalmist had in mind when he wrote that verse? Make thy face shine upon me. I I believe it was. That was the command of the priest to bless the people. And part of that blessing was God's face to shine upon His people. In Psalm 80, verses 3 and 7, it says, Make thy face to shine upon us, and we shall be saved. You know, we need God to look upon us in a positive light. That's what this verse is saying. Make thy face to shine upon thy servant and teach me thy statutes. There's an awful lot of learning that goes on that is absolutely worthless. How many would agree with that? You see... Learning knowledge for the sake of learning knowledge, the word is sophistry. Learning knowledge for the sake of living is obedience to God's Word. If you don't believe it enough to live it, you don't understand it. Because if you understood it, you would find out that life, and the psalmist has already reiterated this many, many times, How does he get life? Keeping thy statutes. Lord, let me obey thy word. In thy words are life. Help me to obey over and over again. He says, make thy face to shine upon me and teach me thy statutes. And then verse 136, he goes the exact opposite of verse 129. He said, rivers of water run down my eyes because they keep not thy law. 
How many of you watched someone destroy their lives and you just couldn't do a thing about it? It's, it's a terrible thing. But do you still cry? I'll tell you, we, we need, maybe we just need to have a, another all-night prayer meeting. I think we're getting, getting in need of that again. And ask the Lord for some tears. Ask the Lord to work on our hearts. It, I'll tell you, it's easy even as a pastor, to get wound up in the struggle of just doing things that need to be done and forgetting about all the tragedy that is involved. He says, Rivers of waters run down mine eyes because they keep not thy law. That would change our attitude toward these wicked politicians, would it not? That would change our attitude and our understanding toward these quote-unquote progressive, radical, Maoist, whatever they are. Um, It would change the way we thought about others that hate the Word of God. If we could only understand, if we could let it get a hold of our hearts... These people that die without Jesus are going to spend an eternity separated from God. We are going to witness if something does not, if something miraculous does not happen, you and I will be the witnesses of the destruction of this culture and of this nation because they have disregarded because they keep not his laws. Everything that made this country great was obedience to the laws of this book called the Bible. Amen? We've been an entire generation. When World War II was won, everybody thought that all problems would be over. What happened among the Northern Baptists after the Civil War... We have abolished slavery. We have brought the kingdom of God here on earth. There wasn't too many of them saying that when World War I came around. But when World War II was over, that was the war to end all wars. We have to have peace because of atomic weapons. Let me ask you a question. Have we had peace? No. But what we've done is we have moved to the answer is in mankind, not in God's Word. We need to pray. We need to ask God to do His work. Because God's Word always works. Stop and think what God's Word has done in your life in these wicked last days. Amen? Let it be wonderful. You know, there's a struggle that ought to go on in the life of every Christian. It is enjoying God's blessings in your life for obedience and weeping for the destruction that is coming to others 
because of disobedience. You need to be able to do both. And all God's people said, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this night. and Lord, we ask that we would not lose the emotion, the wonder of your word. That we would understand the miracle it is that we can even hold in our hands the entire revelation of the Creator God. Lord, let us stand in awe of your holiness, of the greatness of your words. Lord, let us echo the words of the psalm that we have read tonight. That we would want your words. We want your mercy. We don't only want the miracles to be in the past. Lord, we ask that you would convict us. And Lord, that you would let us weep. That it would not just be some ginned up emotional thing. But Lord, that it would be your work to soften our hearts and our lives. That we may reach out unto thee and enjoy the blessings of thy face shining upon us. And yet lift up with tears praying for those who do not obey thy law. Lord, help us to live for Thee. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's take a moment. We'll just have the piano play tonight.